Morning, everyone. How amazing was worship? For me, it was such a highlight. Um, ever since we moved from the old venue to the, this new venue, the band had been saying, can we get a really big stage? And if you were in our old venue, you'd realize how small the old stage was, and now they're kind of filling it out. But isn't it great to have like almost every instrument? I think it's really cool. So, uh, yeah, thank you to the band who spend hours and hours behind the scenes practicing. And if this is Sunday, can you imagine what worship night's going to be like? It's going to be incredible. So, yeah. So we are week two of this series called All In. And I want to start with this kind of concept or idea. We are most fulfilled and God is most glorified when we know our calling when we run in our calling and we bear fruit for Him. Would you agree? God is most glorified in that kind of case. And our, our calling and how it works out kind of has two broad areas. There's God's general will for our life. And for all of us, God's general will, God's general calling is to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow Him, to become like Him, to learn about Him, to imitate Him. And as we're on that journey of following Jesus, He prepares us and changes us and helps us to work out our own salvation, to do the good works, Ephesians 2 says, of the kingdom. And that's a specific calling. Those good works are different for you and I. Does that make sense? So in a general sense, we're all called to be disciples and follow Him. And as we're doing that, He prepares us and we find out the specific things that he calls us to do, yeah? But as nice as that sounds, Jesus' teachings weren't always that attractive or, or weren't always that palatable to other people around him. There were occasions where many people stopped following Jesus. One time where there was a mass exodus away from him, he looked at his disciples and he says, aren't you guys also going to leave? You know, the 12. And you know what they said? They answered, where else can we go you have the words of eternal life. Even though his teachings were hard at times, they realize there's actually nowhere else we could go where we can hear the words of eternal life. And to those of us who do follow him as his disciples, there are incredible promises in the scriptures. Abundant life, we read about last week, John 10 verse 10. Eternal life. Peter says we have an inheritance in heaven kept for us, that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Paul writes, he says, there are um, spiritual blessings available to us. We have the Holy Spirit, God's presence with every one of us. That's promised to us. We have His joy, we have His favor, etc. But you know what Jesus never promised? He never said, come and follow me and life will get easy. There'll be no more suffering or heartache. He never said, come and be my disciple and there'll be no more obstacles. He never said that opposition and struggles will vanish. He never said, be a Christian and it'll be plain sailing. You won't find that verse anywhere in the Bible, I'm sad to say. He never said, don't worry, everything will just fall into your lap. <laughs> in fact, this is what he said in Matthew chapter 16. This is our text for the next few weeks in the series. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Whoever goes all in for me 
will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? These deep searching questions that Jesus asks. And so last week we looked at to deny ourselves. It's the first part of this kind of commandment. Today we're going to look at kind of the next aspect, which is to take up our cross. Now the cross was a, an instrument of death. And I guess it's unusual for Christians or for any religion to, to have as our symbol the cross. People wear a cross around their neck, you know, on the chain. It's a symbol of death. It's kind of a weird thing to have as we're all about life, but we're about death at the same time. But the, but the cross was an instrument of death that the Romans used. It was a horrific way of dying, very shameful, very embarrassing, very painful. And Jesus died on the cross willingly for our sins. And Jesus is not saying here that we should literally go and make a cross of wood and walk around every day and carry our cross. He's not saying that, lest you misunderstand him. He's using it in a, in a metaphorical way, adding on to how we should deny ourselves. And so taking up our cross means, firstly, that we can expect pain. The cross was a painful instrument of death. So denying ourselves, taking up our cross, means that surrendering my will in favor of God's much more glorious will for my life. There's a pain involved in, in sacrificing what I want, what I think is best for my life, and saying, God, I want what you think is best for my life. That's quite easy to do when things are going well. But it's a whole lot harder to do when, when there's struggles and challenges and trials. And Jesus was upfront to his disciples. He says, you will face trials. He didn't hide the fact. It wasn't like fine print, you know, when you sign your cell phone contract. T's and C's apply. Jesus was straight up about it. This is what he says in John chapter 16. He says, I've told you these things so that in you, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. How's that for a mantra? Every morning, wake up. In this world, today I will have trouble. It's a great uh, slogan, eh? But take heart, I have overcome the world. And thank God that he doesn't stop the verse at halfway through, right? It would be quite depressing. But he does tell us there's going to be heartache. This world is promising us sorrow and pain. Guaranteed. It's not a lottery. You will find it. <laughs> but he says he's overcome the world. He's gone to prepare a place in heaven for us one day. And that means that our suffering, the pain that we go through, is temporary. There's not eternal suffering. It's a very short space of time. And in light of that pain that Jesus says will come, he says, well, I'm, I'm guaranteeing this. Jesus doesn't cause the pain. Let's be clear about that. But he says there is going to be pain as you follow me. And in light of the fact that there's going to be pain, you need to count the cost, as it were. You need to Figure out, is it worth following me for this price, for this suffering, for this pain? He tells this parable in Luke chapter 14. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. 
that's pretty hectic. He's saying, unless your devotion and your love of God is so big and it eclipses your own natural love for your natural family, by comparison how you love your natural family to compare to how you love God, it looks like hate. He's not saying physically go and hate them. He's saying by comparison, your devotion to God should be so pure and holy that by comparison it looks like you're hating even though you're loving. Does that make sense? He says, whoever does not carry their cross, there's that phrase again, and follow me cannot be my disciple. And here's the kind of the parable. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation but are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, that person began to build, but they weren't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go, a war, go to war against another king. Won't the first one sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming who's got 20,000? Well, if he's not able to you know, guarantee victory, he'll send a delegation while the other is a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This is hard teaching. You can imagine why so many people left Jesus, right? He's not candy-coating his message. And so he tells us before we take up our cross, there's going to be pain. There's going to be a cost that you're going to have to bear. Are you willing to do it? Is kind of what he's asking. And the reality for the 12 disciples, that most of them died for their faith. They became martyrs. Now, probably for most of us, that's not going to happen, right? But in some countries, this is still a reality. People are persecuted and die for their faith in Jesus. John Piper puts it like this. He says, be willing, I love what he says to Sanakis, without murmuring or cowardice, without complaining, to be opposed, to be shamed, to suffer and to die, all for your allegiance to him. So be willing for that to happen. Or to go to the heart of the matter, to take up your cross means to treasure Jesus more than we treasure human approval, honor, comfort, and life. Our suffering is not a tribute to Jesus unless we endure it because we cherish Jesus. Many of us suffer and go through painful things. We, we complain about it. We're not going through it in the right kind of attitude where we're actually cherishing Christ. Taking up our cross means that Jesus has become more precious to us than approval, honor, comfort, and life. I don't know how you live that out. I wish I could give you a three-step plan, but it's powerful and deep and challenging. The second very positive aspect about this morning's message is that we can expect loneliness. <laughs> Many times when we hear about Jesus, we, we read about the crowds that followed him. And even when there weren't crowds, he was teaching his 12 disciples. And even when they weren't around, he was with his kind of inner circle, the three, Peter, James, and John. And so we can kind of get the impression that Jesus was never alone, right? But there were times where he was alone. Obviously, he spent time with God and prayer alone, etc. 
But there were times where Jesus was alone and must have felt that loneliness. Just before he was uh, crucified towards the end of the life, John 19 says this. He says, or it says, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. So Jesus didn't just carry his cross, but he carried it alone. That after being beaten, whipped, falsely accused, falsely sentenced, the crowd shouting for him to be crucified, someone else to be let go, he's in pain, he's in agony, he's, he's looking at the cross, knowing what's coming, not just a painful death that's wrong and unjust, but that God would judge the sin of the world on him. He knew what was coming, and he's carrying this cross in physical and mental and emotional agony, and he's all alone. He would have felt the fact that no one else was with him. And sometimes taking up our cross, as Jesus models it, means that it's going to result in loneliness. It will feel like we're an island all on our own. And that, that's happened. This week I heard of a story of a man, he's not in this church, but uh, the person who was telling me was saying that it was actually her husband. And she said that this man was part of a friendship group when he was younger in high school. They were all good friends and, and after high school, etc. And they were such good mates. They did all their fun stuff together. They would go on holiday together, etc. Go and watch the rugby together. And they were best men at each other's wedding. So a really, really tight group. And then this man who would become her husband started going to church. Started reading the Bible. And then he got saved. And it's like this group excommunicated him. They stopped talking to him, they stopped messaging him, stopped inviting him to fun things. And for years now, even the one guy has not even got hold of him. She was telling me this week. How painful where, where friends reject you simply because you've changed faith or, or come to faith. I can remember about a month after I started following Jesus, I was at university, 2004, and... Someone sent me a message, one of my close friends in our circle of, of friends. She sent me a message by accident. She meant to send it to another friend, but she said, Dear so-and-so, but obviously my name's Glendon, not so-and-so. I can't believe Glendon's starting to go to church, just like this other guy in our group. Now, she's not saved, right? So it wasn't like, Woohoo, I'm so glad. It was like, I can't believe we're going to lose another friend. She sent that to me by accident. I was heartbroken. I mean, you're laughing, it's funny, it's funny now, but <laughs> I didn't have many friends, man. <laughs> they were going quickly. <laughs> Made me feel a bit lonely. Another time, later in that year, the church I was part of, um, a whole bunch of the young guys, the 20-somethings, were, were planning a mission trip to England, going over to, to an equipped time and then going to go to two or three churches and do some outreaches there. And so the guy who was heading up that team had sent a letter, like back in those days, you know, there wasn't, you know, WhatsApp wasn't invented. And so there was a printed letter. And so we all got this letter saying, Dear Glendon, thanks for your interest, you know, to come on this mission trip and go to the equip in England. These are the dates. This is roughly the itinerary. This is what it'll cost. Please pray about it over December and let us know in January, you know, if you're still keen to come because they want to finalize the team. And uh, so I'd been a Christian for almost a year at that point. Uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so my parents were not safe, and I was still living with them. And I didn't grow up in a home where we were very close. Uh, emotionally, it was a very superficial uh, kind of environment that I grew up in. 
And I didn't have the courage to go and tell my parents, hey, I'm, I'm keen to go overseas on this mission trip because they, I mean, they knew I'd gone to church. They were kind of happy that I'd found some friends who think like me. And, uh, but that was the extent of the conversation, right? And so, so I stuck this letter on the fridge one night and I went to bed because I didn't know how to talk to my parents about this deep stuff. Don't laugh. This is a serious story. <laughs> so I'm lying in bed. You can hear my parents go, uh, go up to the kitchen and open the fridge to get some milk or something. And they close the door and I can hear them like there's a moment of silence. They're obviously reading this letter. And I'm awake and I'm in bed. I hear my dad say, I can't believe these people are going to England to Joel in the name of God. <laughs> it wasn't a joke. I was, I was heartbroken. And that was my parents' attitude, like they're using the name of God for a party overseas, you know. And I just, there's this loneliness that can sometimes impact us when we follow Christ. Some of you might have had friends walk away or family, walk, family members reject you simply because of your faith. It's a reality. When we follow Him, we may find loneliness. But even in those moments, even when Jesus was carrying His cross, we know that he wasn't truly alone. God was with him at that point. And he knew what awaited him on the other side of his death. It was his resurrection. He knew that not long he would be in heaven again at the right hand of the Father. Maybe you're feeling like that today, where you've, you've been isolated, you've become lonely because of your choice to walk righteously, to choose God's path over another path. This week I did my tax returns. And I followed God's path over my path. And I declared my full other income from rental property we have on our, on our house. And I had to pay in tax. Now, do you think I like paying tax? <laughs> no, but, I mean, SARS loves me for it, but I'm not feeling lonely. But there's a pain that comes when you follow God's way and not our own way. Luke chapter 12. Jesus says this, he says, I've come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. That's his death. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you but division. From now on there will be five and one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This gospel, this truth, it, it results in division for those who follow Christ and those who don't. And we have to come to terms with the fact that people are going to leave us and walk away or hurt us or say harmful things simply because we're following Christ. We have to be aware that could happen. Jesus didn't die on the cross to end human suffering. Okay, say it again. Jesus didn't die on the cross to end human suffering. Look around. <laughs> there's pain, there's heartache, there's devastation, there's crime, there's abortion. There's natural disasters, fires, Canada, Greece, Hawaii, Johannesburg. Jesus didn't die to end human suffering. But what he did... He took on human suffering and filled it with His eternal presence. So that in our darkest hour, or in our daily challenge, 
He's with us. He took on, he experienced, he became sin, he became suffering, and he filled that suffering with his presence so that we, when we go through stuff, he's with us. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, he says. Last point this morning. We can expect partnership. The family of God is beautiful. Ed, when he was here, Ed and Heidi, a few weeks ago, preached about the church, God's family, his bride. It was an amazing, amazing message. And whether it's a um, biological family or church family or just good friends, I'm sure we've all experienced stuff where we've done things together with friends or family where it's been like this amazing, enjoyable experience, like working on a, a, a project together maybe. And I want to tell you one or two stories about uh, a really good friend of mine. He ended up being one of my best men at my wedding. And just to try and illustrate the amazing joy of partnership, Candice and I started dating at the end of 2007. It was like the end of December. She was living in the UK. She was studying to be a nurse. I was out here in South Africa. We started dating, and then we were in kind of different countries for, the, for, for all of that time. That was December 2007. January 2008, um, I was still at university. I was leading a life group of varsity students. And this guy arrived at church, a new visitor. And I met him at the visitor's area at the back of church in Peter Maritzburg. And his name was Ben Charlton. And he had come from Mpangani. And he had this, this mop of, um, he had this big curly afro. And he was like, just like a clown, literally and figuratively. And I met him at the back of church on the Sunday night, and I introduced myself, and I'm like, hey, this guy sounds fun. I'm quite a serious guy. Maybe I should get to know him. Maybe something can, you know, rub off on me. And so I arranged to have coffee with him the next day on the Monday, and we hung out, invited him to life group, and, and this was just as we'd started dating. So this was all still new, and she was far away, and life was going on. I was still studying, being life group. But for the first month that Ben was in Peter Maritzburg, he'd moved up to kind of study and work, I saw him every day, like 30-something days in a row. Like I'd spend more time with Ben than I had with Candace. Candace is getting jealous. Who's this guy, Ben? <laughs> Worried that it was Benjamina, some girl, you know. <laughs> but it was just like an instant friendship. Have you ever had that? We just connect with someone instantly. And I... Anyway, Ben and I, and Ben, Ben's like a, more of a creative guy than I am. He had like a video camera. He was into videography. And he's like, yeah, so this girl, Candice, you're dating. Like, I've never met her. She's in England. She's never been to your, your flat that you live in. Why don't you make a video for her? Like a walkthrough of the flat. She can get to know you a bit better in the flat. And so I tidied up the, the flat I was living in. And Ben brought his camera. And like, we filmed a little walkthrough, Ben and I. And so Ben is now busy editing the video for a few weeks, making it look a bit better. And uh, so January rolls into February. You know what happens in February? The 14th. Valentine's Day. Now, this is like, this is the, 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 first Christian, the first person I dated since becoming a Christian. So this is like, should do something for Valentine's Day, but she's far away. So, so um, I had a guitar. I could play the guitar. I was a terrible singer. Like, when I had my worship times in the morning with me and the guitar, like, the angels left, but Jesus still stayed. Like, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was that good. And so I thought, you know what, I, 
I really enjoy writing poetry. I've written some poetry. And I thought, I'm going to write a song. We've been dating for like, you know, a month and a half. I'm going to write a song. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. <laughs> You're all <are> safe today. <laughs> so, and a friend of mine had a recording studio at his house. And so I went over to Brian and Celeste's house and recorded this song like in two takes, whatever. And it... Uh, emailed it over to Candace. She forgot that it was Valentine's Day and I got nothing in return, but, but I sent her this song and it was actually, it was, honestly, it was quite a good song. It was quite, it was good. And then Ben's like, you've written a song. We should make a music video for Candace. And so you know, he's still busy editing the walkthrough video. So he, so he managed to like, to, um, to like get the, the audio and we made this really corny, very cheesy music video. It was terrible, right? And so then like, so the project's coming together and and then he's like, you know what? If just maybe if she's the one, you're gonna end up marrying her and living together, and like you can't let her do all the cooking. You know, modern man, you've got to show her that you can cook. So he's like, Well, why don't you do like a five-minute cooking show for her? So like, you know, Jamie Oliver vibe, not the naked chef. I know what you guys think. No, 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 no. So we go to the kitchen and we like plan this thing, and he sets the camera up on the tripod and I start cooking. But like on purpose, we make it a bit funny, you know. And so it's, it's, do you remember Tuna Mate? Like that pre-made, so obviously like, don't, it was tasty. Like I'm getting some horrible looks here. So you like, you kind of leave the box just in frame so she can see it's like half a joke, you know. So I made Tuna Mate on the stove for her. And uh, just to track, to track back when, um, growing up, I, I, I had curly hair. I still have curly hair. I didn't like curly hair so much. And my hair used to be shaved all the time, a bit like Ashley's is. Um, and so, but when we started dating, Candace is like, oh, don't you want to grow your hair? I'm like, oh, like it gets curly and it's hard to style it. And you're trying to look cool because you had varsity and just curly hair for the ladies. I get it. Like I totally get it. It's, it's challenging. So I'm trying to grow my hair out. Like it's now February, March. And, uh, and so I'm trying to find a, a shampoo that works on curly hair. Now I've not had experience with this kind of thing before. So I, like I try three or four. I find Pantene made a range called Pantene Perfect Curl. I'm like, it just, it was amazing for my hair. I was like, wow, there are actually people who design shampoo for curly hair. So I start using Pantene Perfect Curl. And then, so Ben's like, you know what, let's even, let's take it up a notch. This, this project that's coming together, the cooking show, the music video, the walkthrough. Let's do, because she will ask you to grow your hair, let's do a shampoo ad in the shower. <laughs> So like I'm wearing I'm wearing my baggies right so I'm not it's not dodgy, but obviously from up here I'm I'm topless and I'm in the shower the water's going and I come shampooing the hair but like you know you flexing at the same time you know, <laughs> and I did I did a voiceover of the of the of the the shampoo video with like an American accent Pantene Perfect Curl you know. <laughs> Anyway, there were about three or four other clips that ended up in this, it became the DVD for Candace, so I still have it saved. And there was a blooper reel as well, like, you know, when you do so many crazy things, there's like a blooper reel. So anyway, all of that to say that Ben and I had so much fun on this project together, this partnership. He was helping me win my wife's heart, and I'm so grateful that God had spoken to her about me before I sent the DVD, because... <laughs> She, so she showed it to the, the friends she was living with, this other bunch of girls, and they all cringed. and like, why are you dating this guy? It was so funny. I thought it was really cool, but looking back, I realized there was some, you know, some 
corny things. <laughs> but, but partnership on these shared wild adventures are so fun. Some of my sweetest moments have been with other believers doing stuff for Jesus. Whatever that thing was, painting the inside of this hall, going on mission trips, whatever it was. Some of the sweetest moments are partnering together. And we get to partner with other people as we serve God. And we get to partner with God Himself. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, Now if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. And I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So Paul says we're going we're gonna to share in Jesus' glory. We probably will share in some of His sufferings at some point, if we follow him. And Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples, this road is not going to be an easy one. There's going to be some sufferings. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some loneliness. But it's all going to be worth it because there's this guarantee we will share in his glory one day. And partnership with Christ means we, we look to what he's done. We emulate him. We imitate him. We follow him. We become like him. We're one of his disciples. And as we're following him, he partners with us. It's not us trying to work out and walk out our lives by ourselves. He enables us, he intervenes, he helps us, and he's with us on this journey. But we partner with him and we partner with others as we follow and embrace his way of life, which is taking up our cross. I want to end with, with this scripture. Maybe the band can come up so long. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, from verse 16. And Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Can we stand? Maybe the guys at the back could just dim the lights a bit. I really feel this morning God wanting to, to minister to us. And so I'm going to ask the band just to play gently. <laughs>